Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Father, you are here. We are here. May we be here together, and may we be conscious of your presence with us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, St. Michael's. Good for you. You lasted through that whole reading. Get used to it. It's almost Holy Week. We do long readings during Holy Week. There's something that particularly stood out to me in this week's uh, gospel passage. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you had shown up when I asked you to, this wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you had done what I asked, when I asked for it, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you? Why didn't you do something? Why did you allow this to happen? Is anybody resonating with these statements and questions? Have you ever said something like this, asked something like this, thought something like this before in your life? These statements and questions are saturated in grief, steeped in grief due to the experience of loss. It could be a loss of a loved one, typically due to illness or disease, especially if in your understanding, in your mind, they died before their time, they died young. It could be the loss of our health, that now our life is very different but when it was before, before this new health condition. It could be the loss of a relationship, any type of relationship, a severed relationship with a friend or a family member or a breakup or a divorce. It could be the loss of a job or a business you've invested time and energy and years of your life in. It could be the loss of a house. It could be the loss of a dream or a vision or a plan you had for your life. The loss of what could have been or the loss of what should have been. We ask these questions, we say these things when we have expected God to act or intervene in a particular way, in a way we thought God should act, in a way that seems in accordance with God's character, especially if we believe he responded similarly to someone else who might be experiencing the very same thing, especially if someone we know. If you've experienced loss in your life, which if you've lived like a day, you have, you might have asked these questions. You might have said these things. And if so, you have a lot in common with the characters in today's gospel reading, especially Martha, especially Mary. Lazarus, their brother, is dead. But in their minds, that should not have happened. Why? Because they asked Jesus for help. And not someone who is a stranger, someone they heard about, 
who heals the sick, who restores the lame, who gives sight to the blind. This is someone they knew personally. They knew him, and they knew him for quite some time. Martha, Mary, and her brother, their brother Lazarus, they're all good friends with Jesus. They lived in a village called Bethany. Think of it as a suburb, just two miles outside of the big city of Jerusalem. And when Jesus would visit Jerusalem with his disciples to journey there for festivals, where did they stay? Martha and Mary's house. They supported Jesus in his ministry. They provided food and lodging for he and his buddies. They believed in him. They believed in his mission. And so when they sent a messenger to inform Jesus that Lazarus, their brother, his friend, the one whom you love, that's the message, is ill? Well, they expected Jesus, the one with that special connection with God, that kind of direct line with God, would use his miraculous power to heal their brother, his friend, to rescue him from death and them from ridiculous loss. Jesus did wonderful miracles to perfect strangers. Why wouldn't he do that for his friend? Why wouldn't he do that for us? Why wouldn't he show up? Now, Jesus doesn't show up fashionably late. Some of us like to show up to things fashionably late. Or just kind of in the nick of time type late. You know, the 11th hour prayer type late. No, Jesus shows up late, late. Late. Four days late. By the time Jesus shows up, it's Lazarus' funeral. Lazarus has already been wrapped up in burial cloth. He's already been entombed. The stone's already in place. His body's at rest. It's already beginning to decompose. The smell of death is in the air. Friends and family have already come from the city for the funeral. They're eating cheese and conversating in the living room. They're there to console Martha and Mary and mourn with them in their grief. It's over. It's done. There's nothing anyone can do. Not even Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world, as Martha said, because he didn't come when they asked him to. He didn't do what they wanted him to do, what they expected him to do, what they needed him to do, what they saw him do for all these other people. And no one, not even Jesus, can raise people from the dead. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever said anything like that in your life? Lord, if you would have been here, if you would have answered my prayer, if you would have shown up, this wouldn't have happened. I'd still be alive. They'd still be alive. We'd still be married. I'd still have my job. I'd still have my business. I'd still have my home. I'd still have my health. Fill in the blank. You've lived life. You know what goes in that blank. And this is even worse when we think we kind of have a stake into this person, Jesus. When we consider ourselves kind of Christians worth our salt, you know, who give, who serve, who pray, who believe, who bought into this Christian thing, who would say, yeah, we're Jesus freaks, we're sold out. See, in spite of so many people 
around Lazarus and Martha and Mary who rejected Jesus. They did not. They believed in him. They supported him in his ministry and his mission. They fed him and his friends. They let him sleep in their house. To say that Martha and Mary were a little disappointed that Jesus didn't show up when they wanted and expected and asked him to wouldn't really do justice to what they're experiencing. Have you been where they are? I have. I can only speak for myself. I've been in this type of situation before and said to God, God, I've said no to all these other things, but I've said yes to you. I believed in you. I supported you. I've sacrificed everything for you. Sacrificed it all for you. And I asked for one thing, just one thing, and you ignore me. How could you let this happen after everything I've done for you? I've been there. And that makes sense when we're suffering the pain of loss, whatever that might be, to feel this way, to think this way, to experience this. But as I reflect on those experiences in my life, in hindsight, of course, because I can't while I'm in it, I realize they're quite revealing. What do I mean? They reveal my real understanding of faith. They reveal my real understanding of what belief in Jesus is. They reveal a faith or a belief that is more what Jesus can do and not who he is. It's a transactional type of faith. Someone at the door at 745 said, it's like a vending machine. Although I would never admit that. It's a faith that says, I believe, therefore, I expect to receive. And in a particular way, and when I don't, that faith goes, whoop. When I think that God pulled the rug out from underneath me, whoop. Anybody been? Come on. Nobody. You guys are good. You guys are good. Good. I'm in the presence of very faithful people. That's where Martha's at. Her faith is in Jesus as a miracle worker. Someone who has a special connection and direct line to the Father. She says, even now I know you can ask God whatever you want and he'll do it. Now even that was limited. Because when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, she's not thinking he was actually going to do it. She's like, well, yeah, in the future you'll do that. But he says, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am, I am the life. The one who believes in me, who entrusts themselves in unconditional dependence upon me. That's the faith that Jesus is talking about. The one who rests in relationship with me. Although they die, although they experience death a thousand times in this life, they will live in this life. And those who believe and live will never die. Martha, do you believe that about me? Do you believe that about me? See, all this makes sense because the pain and suffering and loss is so powerful that it kind of narrows our focus. When I'm in pain, I am the only one that matters. No one else matters. Doesn't mean if it's physical pain, no one else matters. Emotional pain, no one else matters. 
It's me. It's so revealing. I get so into myself because I am experiencing some form of loss and pain. No one in the story knew. Not Jesus' disciples, that's for sure. They know nothing. Not the consoling Jews from Jerusalem. Not Martha. Not even Mary. And Mary, in John's gospel, is presented as the one who probably got it more than everyone. On this side of the cross and resurrection, she got it. Not even Mary. They had, none of them had any idea the magnitude and the scope of this event. You see, in all the other Gospels, even a little for your Bible nerds, we're going to have a quick conversation. In all the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the event that kicks off the final plot to eliminate Jesus, okay, is when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and goes to the temple and cleanses the temple. If you're not familiar, well, I don't know what that story is. You can Google that on your phone right now. I don't care. Go right ahead. Just make sure it's on silent. Read about it. That's the final straw for the spiritual and religious leaders to do the plot. However, in John's telling of the story, which is a very different telling of the story, it's kind of a different perspective, he places the cleansing of the temple all the way back in chapter 2, right in the very beginning. The final plot to kill Jesus, that leads to his passion, to his suffering, to his crucifixion, and ultimately on the third day his resurrection is this event. It's the resurrection of Lazarus in Bethany. It's because Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the dead, the spiritual and religious leaders plot and eventually have him murdered and executed. They even want Lazarus dead because his resurrection, his existence in this life points to Jesus. See, Lazarus is an archetype of us. Living resurrection life here. And what does that resurrection life look like? We'll get to that in a minute. The event, this event leads to the salvation of not only disciples, not Mary and Martha, not the consoling Jews who came, but the entire world, human history, and the universe. That happens here. The story of the resurrection of Lazarus is not about Jesus just showing up and resurrecting a guy and doing a miracle. It's not about what Jesus can do for us in this life. It's not about what Jesus will actually do for us in the future. It's about Jesus himself and what resurrection and life and abundant life and eternal life really are. If you actually move further in the story, the next scene of Lazarus is him reclining at the table with his Lord. Close to the Father's heart. John chapter 1, 18. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart has made him known. Eternal life, as Jesus defines it in the Gospel of John, is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And it is an intimate and experiential knowledge of God that transcends all understanding and experiences good, bad, or indifferent. Resurrection life is more than just what will happen, but it's what's happening now while we live in the midst 
of so much darkness and death and pain and suffering. It's something deep down. It's this abundant life that Jesus is talking about. It's not about him granting us our wishes and our desires and our wants and answering our prayers in the way that we want as noble and compassionate and obvious as they are and unselfish as they are. It's having him. I am the resurrection and the life. It's having him make his home in us and bringing us into the same love that he and the Father shared in eternity. That's what resurrection life is. This type of belief that Jesus is inviting us into is not meant to negate our reactions and re emotional responses to loss in life. We're not going to walk around and be like, resurrection life, I don't feel a thing. No. No, please no. And please don't go to someone who's like suffering pain and be like, you know, there's resurrection life in you. No, no, no. I'll say no one more time. No. It's not meant for us not to feel what we are feeling or pretend that everything is just fine. Mary, the one who got it, who truly got who Jesus was, on this side of this crucifixion, what does she do when she comes to Jesus after he calls her, kneels at his feet. What does she do? Weeps. And what does Jesus do? He smacks her in the face and says, Woman, get over yourself. No. What does Jesus do? He weeps. Now, a bunch of theologians can sit here and tell you, well, they know the reason why Jesus weeps. It's not stated. I believe he wept. Because she wept. Which means when you cry, Jesus cries. He's in you. And you're in him. And he's with you. And he knows what you think. He knows what you feel. You could be honest with God. You don't have to pretend. But ultimately, our reliance is on the person of Jesus, not what we think he could do or should do for us. It's to offer ourselves in unconditional dependence, to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, which I often do. You probably don't, but I do. To trust and entrust ourselves to him. There's a difference. Knowing that whatever loss or death-like experience we go through regardless of what we believe he should have done or how he didn't show up for us in some way that transcends our ability to anticipate or expect or imagine and that likely goes beyond the scope of our very little lives. Jesus will bring about resurrection in life. It will be experienced. Not because that's something that he does. It's because it's something that he is. I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. I invite you in a brief moment of silence.
don't know, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you're asking, Lord, if you would have been here, uh, I wouldn't be experiencing this. Where, where, where are you? Where have you been? Why did you leave me alone? Why did you abandon me? And Jesus invites that honesty. Like Mary, he invites you to weep, to feel, and to experience his presence with you in it, his resurrection and life in it. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.